In this episode, I had the opportunity to speak with media personality, best-selling author, and elite business coach, Jennifer Longmore. Key points addressed were Jennifer's books regarding her rhetoric and knowledge on identifying and realigning one's to one's purpose professionally, personally, and spiritually. We also discussed some of the reflections and thoughts Jennifer's had um, as she has launched a massive effort to help individuals traverse the COVID-19 pandemic and begin future visioning again. Stay tuned for my fascinating talk with Jennifer Longmore. Hi, my name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I'm your host, Patricia, and today I am sitting down with Jennifer Longmore. She is a media personality, best-selling author, and elite business coach. You can find out more about her endeavors and all the work that she's involved in in www.souljourneys.ca. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I know we're going to have a great chat today. We are. I can't wait. I've really climbed through a lot of what you've done, and I'm excited to ask you so many questions regarding your work and your future endeavors. Um, for everyone listening, I will read a quick bio on Jennifer, but before I get to that, a roadmap for today's podcast. For those of you who are longtime listeners, it will follow the trajectory that we always follow for this series. Namely, we will look at Jennifer's academic background and early professional history leading to right now. Then we'll look at unpacking um, soul journeys. Um, we'll get into the logistics of who, what, when, where, funding, growth, client base. And then we'll get into some of the more specifics of the ethos and the philosophy behind the work that she's doing there. And we'll also address some of the, um, at least a few of the plethora of books that she has written over the past decade. And um, we'll then turn our efforts towards asking Jennifer about any goals that she may have for her businesses and her, um, her own personage. Uh, for the next one to three years. That's an area that's changing for a lot of us given the recent COVID-19 pandemic. And we'll wrap everything up with advice that she has for those of you who are possibly looking to get involved with what she's doing, um, ask her for some of her services or maybe emulate some of her success. A quick bio on Jennifer before I um, pepper her with questions. Jennifer Longmore, um, a leading authority on sole purpose and elite business coach to enlightened entrepreneurs, is a sought after media personality, three time best selling author, is world renowned for her laser like clarity in seeing into the depths of your soul and bridging your connection to universal consciousness. For more than 15 years, she has served clients in permanently shifting the limiting beliefs and patterns that prevent them from being who they really are so that they can live their most abundant, aligned, and accelerated soul's journey. With over 30,000 soul purpose sessions, including the who's who of actors, professional athletes, CEOs of leading companies, and other influentially influential luminaries, Jennifer continues to offer these high-level sessions to soul's who are really committed to shine their light. Um, and again, her website is www.souljourneys.ca. Now, Jennifer, it says three-time uh, best-selling author, but I think I saw five somewhere on another one of your yeah, bios. I kind of lost track. <laughs> <laughs> You're a prolific author. And I love that because I think it's... Um, yeah it becomes, a, it's more than just a body of work and something that you've, you've clearly honed the skill of, but it also becomes very relatable to the way you communicate your information. It's not just this business coach, one-on-one, -on -one, person to person, verbal, um, it becomes written. And it's a different form of, you know, a pedagogical lens of, of an instructional lens, which I, I adore and I kind of get into the minutia of a little bit too much. But before we get to all of that, I was hoping that you could draw us like a narrative of your academic background and early professional life prior to starting um, Soul Journeys. 
Yeah, I'd love to. And I love that you point that out about the books, because when I did my master's thesis, I just dilly dallied on that thing. Like my, my, um, <laughs> <clears throat> professor contacted me and she said, you realize that you've got about six months to write this and hand it in before you have to redo your entire master's. Like I really, it's okay if you don't want to do your thesis, but you're going to have to pick a lane now, right? Because mm -hmm. it just felt so daunting to me having so much material. And it's so funny to me that I've published 10 books now. Like that's just because I really thought I was done with writing after I finished my thesis. I was like, I'm never writing another book again. That was, yeah. you know, like a total birthing process. And here I am. <clears throat> so when I was younger, my uh, parents decided that my mom would stay home with me <clears throat> because they, it, it actually was more financially advantageous for them for her to stay home than go to work and pay a babysitter. So she stayed home with me and my mom, I think secretly always wanted to be a teacher so she taught me and I was reading and writing and, you know, basically at a grade five level by the time I got to kindergarten and mm -hmm. uh, I was asked to constantly sit in front of the class and read to the class, which as a shy kid was actually really painful to sit on a chair above my other, yeah. you know, peers and read a story to them like a teacher would read and people would come in and gawk at me and they would bring in people from the school board and let's look at this yeah. this girl they wanted to skip me ahead to grade four and my mom's like no that's not going to happen because she's going to miss all of that those social things that she needs so I was in gifted classes for a long time and I didn't view myself that way in fact it was really embarrassing and it made me other and I really, because I was already very spiritual and woo and very intuitive, I already felt like a, you know, an outsider and I was doing my best to fit in. So every time I got taken out of a class to go to a special class, it just was, it was super uncomfortable for me. So I feel like I spent a great chunk of my time in school trying to figure out who people needed me to be so I could fit in because mm -hmm. I felt like a really old girl. I got along way better with adults and I felt like kids my own age and so ways were kind of annoying. Um, you know, it was refreshing to me when I would finally find a kid that could have deep conversations with me. So I uh, ended up in grade 11 having a co-op and I went into a class for developmental services and all of these parents asked me to be their private worker for their kids. So these kids had Down syndrome or mm. autism or you know, various things. And so I, I got hired by all these parents and I ended up working like 40 hours a week doing these one-to-one -one contracts after school. And then I got approached by other agencies who wanted me to come and work in group homes and stuff. So then they all wanted me to go and get a developmental service worker diploma at college. And my parents had a meltdown. They're like, no, you're going to university. You're the first kid in our family that's gonna to go to university. That's how it's gonna be. But up until then, I always thought I'd be a teacher. And then I ended up going through for social work and then I specialized in forensic social work and went into forensics for many years investigating crimes against children, which I know you've, you've read that about my history. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was an intense job and fast forward to what's going on in the world right now. I was a crisis worker. I just responded to crises all the time. I got promoted into management positions, director positions, and, uh, and then I knew how to lead other leaders through crises. And I never thought I'd repeat that, right? It's just funny how life has these yeah. ways of throwing things at us and, and uh, in hindsight, how our skills prepare us for this. So, uh, so I worked in that for many years and then I just couldn't, my adrenals just couldn't handle that anymore. So I went and worked in corporate for two years and did sexual harassment investigations. And iron or maybe not ironically, that's probably not the right word, but uh, to my surprise, I was shocked that textbook sexual harassment cases were still happening at that time. It was really shocking to me. Yeah. And, and I know they still happen to this day, but uh, comparatively, the stress that I had in forensics was far different. You know, I maybe got one case every six months of sexual harassment, which was too many, of course, right? But like from a scale perspective, I was used to investigating hundreds of cases a week of, of child abuse to, yeah. you know, once every six months, sexual harassment. But that gave me the gift of working a true nine to five. So every night I could, or not every night, but most nights I could go to business networking events because I kept feeling that I needed to start my own business. But I thought that everyone was speaking alien. I really didn't understand this language of entrepreneurs. It freaked me out. I, I yeah. didn't even know it was a possibility for me. 
but I knew I needed to get into more of the woo side of things, which is what I do now. And, um, and so sure enough, I would go at night and I realized, oh, I do have, the, I do have what it takes. And that, that was a great gift for me to still be getting a paycheck while determining whether I really could do this thing. And so after about two years of working in corporate, I left that. I took the leap and trusted that the net would catch me. And it did. And I was busy pretty much right away and became, uh, I was referral-based and I had a waiting list because all of the same things people were dealing with when I worked in forensics, I was now dealing with them as adults, all of the long-term mm-hmm. effects of sexual abuse and, and uh, gaslighting and you know, mm-hmm. cycles of violence and being parentified and all the things that were happening that I was seeing. Um, so I actually was uh, I'm way more prepared than I realized. And, um, but then I thought, well, I'm going to go get my master's and I'm going to be able to claim my services under extended health benefits. Okay. So I only went to my master's because I wanted to appease the insurance companies. Mm-hmm. I, I was interested in it. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I liked academics to a certain degree, but uh, like anything, you know, there's kind of pros and cons in my opinion anyways of academics. And so I went off and did my master's in education because I just needed something. I was already registered with my body, uh, like my association. So I just needed to have a master's really in anything. But by the time I got my master's, I realized I didn't actually like to work with clients that only wanted to come and do the work when their insurance would cover it and when their insurance would run out. And sometimes it would be nine months. They would, instead of just, you know, continually investing in themselves, they only wanted to come if someone else was paying for it. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that for me, I like to work with people that are constantly moving forward mm-hmm. and, um, and not finding obstacles to do that. So Anyway, so I did my master's and uh, realized that I didn't need it after all, but still grateful that I did it. And now, 16 years later, here I am. You You got that book that was your Everest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm curious, do you believe that the, um, I'm wondering if you, in hindsight, do you attribute your immediate success and waiting list and things like that from your, you, you kind of quickly dropped that you had done this business networking? And, um, you know, in, in nights and weekends when you went corporate, do you attribute some of the success to that? Or have you parsed any of those pieces out as to why it so like very fluidly took up for you? I, I, that's a great question. I think that, yeah, probably an aspect of that eliminated some of my learning curve. Because when we first started business, there's such a steep learning curve. Yeah. And people will always say, well, I don't know what I'm doing. And I say, well, that's amazing. None of us know what we're doing, which is part of the exciting journey that we get to split test and we get to throw spaghetti against the wall. I'm not saying that that's a long-term strategy, but if we go into the energy of awe and wonder in our first year of business and say, okay, well, I wonder what's going to happen if I join that networking group for a year. And I wonder what's going to happen if I knock on these doors that I don't think are going to open for me. And I wonder what's going to happen if you know, I take a leap in this way, I kind of call it business yoga, right? Where we're always stretching ourselves and kind of developing these muscles and getting more comfortable. But I think that because I really could empathize with people and have an understanding of the psychology of abuse mm-hmm. and why they'd be experiencing what they did and people feeling safe enough to come to me and know that I could hold space for them and I wasn't going to make it about me and my discomfort in hearing their story, that I had the actual capacity to hold space for them and let them talk about anything without being judged or without making them feel like they needed to tend to my emotions from vicarious trauma or any of those things that might've happened, Mm. they uh, were able to talk about anything. And believe me, I, I heard a lot of stuff. Uh, I Mm -hmm. thought I had, you know, seen a lot of things and I still, and of course, to this day now, I just know that it, nothing really surprises me. But uh, I, I think too, the other thing that happened then, which is also happening right now for me in my business in light of the pandemic, is that I didn't focus on the money at all. I just focused on, on serving people. And I was mm-hmm. so grateful that I got to make my own living. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was so grateful that I got to create life on my terms and just help people. And that's all I focused on was getting myself out there and helping people. And that's what I've been focusing on the last several weeks. And I didn't do it for this reason, but 
I've, I've generated a lot of income, unexpectedly generated a lot of income over these last few months because my focus really has been on, oh my goodness, I've got to get into crisis mode again. I've got to, you know, help people yeah. not freeze in the trauma, help them work through the trauma that was already there before this. And then all the trauma buttons that are being pressed through this and let's get you to the other side. We don't know what the other side is going to look like, but let's find a way to have you feel a semblance of being able to be in the moment without the moment being so panic and anxiety ridden. Yeah. Uh, which it, you know, can ebb and flow. I don't think it was just in the beginning. There's a lot of different societal yeah. trends with that. And I, and to that end, I want to kind of start unpacking for people. And I'm not certain about this current work that you've done because I haven't been able to um, research any of that. But I do want to start our audience off with um, once you approach your website, um, one of the first taglines that I was um, struck with as a researcher was it's the number one training school for Akashic records. And um, I don't know if I'm saying that word right, but I, I defined, I looked up that word in the dictionary and a very general and accepted definition for that is a supposed universal etheric field in which a record of past events is imprinted. And um, that's Akasha. So, um, and you, uh -huh. you have this tagline of the number one training school for Akashic records. So my assumption in looking into it and then going forward with your books is that you're, you're kind of engaging this philosophy and this, um, this paradigm in, in order to help uh, your clients heal on different levels. And indeed your books envelop everything from spiritual, emotional, financial, you know, in this very, they're all interconnected moment, but you kind of parse out each of these things and speak to those um, through the, the, the feminine, uh, you know, um, energies and things up to all the way up to the financial discord and how we have financial DNA and things of that nature within us. And I'm hoping you can break some of it down. I may have just murkied all of it and I do apologize, but that was kind of my, <laughs> my bird's eye view with all of it. And I wanted to bring that particular term forward because you put it right out there for your audience to hit right when you get to your landing page on your website. So I'm hoping you can break some of that down parse it out, make it bite-sized for people listening, and then talk about how you're implementing it. Yeah, I love that. And uh, I forgot that was on my website because, you know, websites change every few years. And so I sometimes I should, you know, go back and, and see what's on there because, uh, yeah, we change all the time. And I change my business. I don't just kind of stay in one niche or like have one central offer that I have consistently through the years, although Akashic Records are one of them, because I actually follow the pulse of my clients and, and then say, okay, well, do I feel qualified to offer this? I just have a firm belief that I don't want to offer anything that I don't have a semblance of mastery over. I'm not talking about being a master of or being perfect at, but I do feel that my knowledge of certain areas needs to be beyond satisfactory for me to feel good and feel an integrity about, you know, giving people information or holding space for people in a certain way. So for example, I didn't talk about money until I felt that I'd done enough internal work and done enough outer stuff yeah. with money to feel like I could guide people. Of course, I'm not a billionaire and I don't pretend to be a billionaire. And a billionaire is probably not going to hire me to help them with their money story, but I can help people that, you know, are still navigating that. And the reason why I focused on money was because in doing all the soul purpose work, which is ultimately what I'm doing, right? It's all about consciousness, the consciousness of our soul, the consciousness of money, the consciousness of our business. All of these things have right. an energy or an intelligence to them. And I'm helping people tap into these different areas to lead their life. But so many people were saying to me time and time again, I don't know what my purpose is. Like after eight sessions with me, when we keep talking about your purpose, then I, I, I know there's a question behind the question, which is why aren't you living your purpose? You know what your purpose is. And people were throwing money, money under the bus all the time. And I say that obviously in a playful way, but people, uh, money becomes an easy thing to hold us back. And there's a lot of things we don't do in the future because we decide we're already not going to have the money. But what I've learned is money is just a neutral energy and it becomes whatever we project onto it based on what we've been taught about money, based on what society tells us about money, based on what happens when we have money and how other people respond to us when we don't have money or how they respond to us when we don't have money. There's so much that influences that. And if we can untangle ourselves from all the projections and just see money as a clean source, as a tool that helps fuel our dreams, 
then we actually have more freedom. It doesn't matter how much money we have as long as we have peace of mind and freedom around money that actually is true financial freedom. Yeah, and that's interesting. So one of my questions was going to be um, your diagnostic tool set. And I don't know if it's a questionnaire or when you have a new client intake, let's say one-on-one because I know you offer a few different um, services on your website. Um, I, I always wonder when someone like you with this, this vast array of education and you know you this growing toolkit, if you will, um, knowledge base, how you correctly ascertain which um, prognosis and implementation or activities or techniques is appropriate per each client. Do you have a set kind of rule list or um, intake thing that you do with every client or does it, it sounds like it varies. You said you follow the pulse of your clients. And so Mm -hmm. what does that mean in in, um, like reality, like realistic, tangible terms? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you asked that because I think it is important to understand our process. I I am very intuitive, so I can always tell whether someone is asking me the things that they really want to know. And it's not because they're trying to mislead me. It's just because we have so much wrapped in around even asking, right? We've been told to be seen and not heard, or we get in trouble when we ask questions, or we're afraid of looking stupid. There's all kinds of reasons why we don't just directly ask for support or directly ask questions. So I can tell whether someone's question is really in service to them or whether there's something underneath that. And I'll always reflect it back. I'm not going to decide for them, you know, here's, here's the truth and you're going to receive it. But we have a conversation and what I'm looking for is synergy and I'm looking for dissonance. So when someone tells me that they want to create certain things, I'm I'm checking into the pulse of that to see if that's actually in alignment with what they truly want, what their soul truly wants. And I'm also looking for dissonance that they may or may not be telling me, meaning where is their incongruence between what they say they want or what they're telling me they want versus what they're actually doing in their life. Hmm. And then I, I kind of work probably counterintuitively to what maybe people would think I should do, but I want to know what, what's the worst case scenario. You want to have a seven figure business or you want to, you know, um, find a soulmate or you want to do whatever it is people are telling you they want, tell me what the worst case scenario is of you having that. And it stops people and it, it snaps them out of whatever neural pathways they're in to open them up to what the actual fear is. Because the reason why we don't do things in life is because we have fears. Usually they're unconscious. So once we illuminate what that actually, what that fear actually is, then we can heal and reframe and create perspective and also receive perhaps intuitive guidance around, okay, well, how do we help you create that so that fear is no longer an obstacle? Yeah. So a common fear would be, you know, uh, a fear of being attacked, right? If I have it all, then I'm hot pickings basically for other people to criticize me and take me down. So if people are already expecting to be taken down when they succeed, they're going to respond as though they're already being taken down. They're going to dramatically slow down their progress with their goals because they're just trying to keep themselves safe. So if we find a way to help people see that they're safe in being successful, for example, then they can take that path more easily because what happens is when people don't know why they're responding in fear, they then beat themselves up. Oh, I'm stupid. I'm not capable. I'm not enough of X or I'm too much of Y. And they instantly make themselves wrong because we learn that at a very young age, that when in doubt, it must be my fault. And so if we're not moving forward in whatever goal we have, we instantly start beating ourselves up. And then that's a, that's a vicious cycle. We just are on a hamster on a wheel. Then we just have a hard time moving forward because it's really hard to get motivated when we're also telling ourselves that we're stupid or incapable or unqualified or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, things we're telling ourselves. Yeah. And you talk a lot, um, not a lot, in the book that I did read, um, and I should clarify for everyone listening, I I read um, Quantum Leap for the Soul, Manifesting Miracles Through the Power of Co-Creation, which was written a number of years ago, I believe 2014, 2015, maybe earlier, I can't remember. And then I also had a look at Heal Your Money Story, but not in completion. Um, And so I'm speaking namely about um, Quantum Leap for the Soul. You start off in this, um, this introduction of the feminine divine, you know, and this, this feminine power and I'm kind of defining it. And even for myself who had heard the term and and indeed done some studying around it, it it clarified and demystified some um, attributes that I had wrongly associated with it. 
And, um, and then you talk, you parse it out through all of the different metrics that it's represented in our life and um, different areas. You give examples of things like that. And, and it's in order to apply it to this, this manifestation process, you know, of, of miracles and this creation of one's own path and destiny. And um, I'm wondering how much of that, looking at, at your library of books that you've produced that I haven't had the privilege yet of reading, how much of those kinds of principles are applied and intertwined with one another? Um, as someone who's coming into your work and really trying to apply some of your core tenets, is there a similarity or do you feel like everything is kind of a separate journey, a stepping stone, if you will, into the path? That's a great question. I think it's important to look at feminine energy, but I would say that overall, my general philosophy is around oneness. And I recognize that as humans, we have this innate need to get it, get out our label maker 3000. And I know you'll appreciate this because we both grew up in the same <laughs> time frame, right? Mm -hmm. We just are so attached to putting labels on everything. And I remember being young and really just thinking, why can't we all just be one? Not that we have to be the same, but why do we have to use he, she, and, and all kinds of things? Like, why do we have to identify? And there's nothing wrong with identifying that, but every time we create separation by way of labels, we, um, we it, it, you know, how we do one thing is how we do others. And so we start to see uh, separation. I mean, we're seeing it right now in the pandemic. Holy cow, week by week it changes, but there's a lot of polarity and there's a benefit to polarity for sure. But I think that the ultimate goal is to have unity consciousness where we're really just all operating from our heart center and our hearts are what speaks truth as opposed to all of the other things. And of course, intellect is important and our physicality is important and so on. It shapes who we are. But, um, I want to help people understand how how does all of this stuff shape who you are and then who are you beyond that yeah at the core of who you really are yes of course my you know I'm white I was born in North America I had working middle class parents of course my my viewpoint of the world and my experience in the in the world and how other people treat me is predicated on all of that stuff that shapes who I am. So I'm not rejecting it, but I also want to move beyond that at some point. And so that is part of, I think the work that I do on the soul's journey with folks is, is uh, allowing ourselves to constantly evolve and releasing attachment to who we were or who we thought we were and being in the moment of who we are now. And that I would say too, with what's going on in the world is a is a gift. I know that the way it's being delivered, it doesn't feel like a gift, but if we're going to look in, at silver linings in this, it's that we have an awareness and we're coming to various degrees of this awareness that who we were before just isn't coming back. And there's a level right. of almost ceremony that we need to have around saying goodbye to the aspects of us that we're just, we can grace and bless them. Thank you for bringing me to this point in my life. But what matters now in a lot of ways is so different than what was mattering 12 weeks ago, for example. And, uh, and so how do we live beyond labels and, and connect to the truth of our identity on a soul level, which is that we're infinite and expansive and creative beings that are here to, you know, string together a bunch of moments and make every moment count. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the reminder of, you know, our return to humanity. I, I have a personal belief that we are all born with an infinite capacity to love. And these types of situations bring about a lot of uh, fear that can manifest in both negative and positive ways, depending on the person who is um, experiencing it. But I do believe that a reminder of our camaraderie as a civilization, you know, is um, <clears throat> at the epicenter of every good thing that ever happened. And so um, I think there's a key moment to be done with that. I'm wondering, um, 
given the COVID-19 and you talked about briefly earlier on, you mentioned working with people and things of that nature. Can you kind of speak to some of your observations when you've, I don't know what work you've endeavored in recently, but um, since the pandemic hit, can you kind of speak to some of your observations in what's happening or what's potentially possible to happen that could be of benefit or the ways that you're helping people during this particular crisis? Yeah, <clears throat> I've noticed that uh, people overall uh, are having an existential crisis. So people like me are busier right now because people want to know what's the meaning of life. Did my sense of the meaning of life actually match up with what the meaning of life is? What is my purpose now? How can I express my purpose more? Part of the reason why I got into business coaching years ago was not because I wanted to be a business coach. I never envisioned that. It's it, still kind of shocking to me today, but it's a way of me helping people get out of their own way and spread more light and help more people. So I had a, a massive deepening of conviction of purpose when this all went down. When I really, when we had that moment, because I don't know what it's like in other parts of the world, but here in Canada, it was kind of this thing that was happening somewhere else. It was really, really downplayed. And we went from literally one day it was being downplayed to the next day you're all in lockdown. And we're like, <laughs> what's happening, right? And it was in that moment that I had a lot of things happen. One of them was what's called almost like a, a solar feminine rising where we just get this like fire in us, right? And I thought, oh, I, I instantly thought of, you know, I could see it all playing out almost in like a 30 second movie of the decimation of small and medium sized businesses, mm -hmm. what it was, the amount of people that were going to be without jobs, the massive financial hit. Um, you know, we had no, we still had no idea at that time what the virus was going to be or not be, but just the fallout, I could see it. And I had this feeling of, I need to help humanity, this deep, like primal mother energy almost come over me. And I've talked to a lot of women who had a similar feeling. So uh, I've been busier than ever because everyone is, it, initially it was presented as, hey everyone, now that you're at home for two weeks, why don't you learn some things? But that was never the angle I took because I could see that the long-term cause and effect was already bigger than what we were being told. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I really started promoting much more of the spiritual trainings that I had, creating spiritual community, finding affordable ways for people to have access to me so that they could take the edge off and have some clarity because I'm well known for speaking truth. And a lot of people came back from years ago saying I needed the truth and I knew, I knew exactly who I needed to come to. So I always tried to deliver it with love, of course, but um, the truth, there's nothing really convenient about the truth. <laughs> you know, right. it's uncomfortable a lot of times and we're not ready to hear it, but people still know they needed it. So I've been spending a lot of time guiding people uh, towards what their purpose is and what their purpose is now. And like I said, having almost like a ceremony of grieving the aspects of our lives and the aspects of ourselves that are not, they're just not going to be able to come with us, but also really celebrating and honoring and honing the aspects of ourselves and our skills that are needed more now than ever. I think one of the things people are noticing, especially in my community, is that they were made for this time. They really have gotten to see with 2020 vision that, oh my goodness, my whole life has prepared me for this moment. Yeah. And that's certainly how I felt when, you know, what I shared with you about uh, all the crisis work that I used to do. So that's a piece of it, the existential piece. And then the other piece is really keep, you know, people live from trauma anyways. They don't know they are. But something like this that really pokes a lot of trauma buttons and, and there's so many layers of trauma if we don't deal with that, we just freeze. And there's a lot of people that are frozen and then they're making themselves wrong because they're frozen and they know they need to move, but they just can't move. I think we've all had that experience when we wake up in bed and we're just lying there and we feel like we're sinking deeper and deeper into the bed. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are feeling that they're living life that way right now. And so they feel guilty that they're not as they're helping, but they can't bring themselves to you know, everything feels like an effort because they've got adrenal fatigue. Brushing their teeth feels like an effort. Um, mm -hmm. Getting groceries feels like an effort, right? That's all, those are all signs of adrenal fatigue. And so how do we keep folks out of their own way so that they can get to do the things that they know they're feeling called to do? So there's no playbook for this. It's, 
it's complex, it's layered, it's, it's profound, and there's a lot of gifts in this, and there's a lot of suffering and, and tragedy in this too. And it's, and then you put social media on top of that. Yeah. And the fact that already pre-COVID, we had fake accounts and AI that were purposely gearing information to us, people that run fake accounts to try and guide the narrative and get us believing certain things. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we're seeing that now with um, just the, the ways that, and then you've got people that are scrolling, they're hypnotized and they're scrolling. They're highly susceptible because they're in a more hypnotic state and they're reading headlines uh, on one camp or the other, it doesn't even matter. And they're taking it as truth because they're not at that level of a discernment because they're in their theta brain waves, right? Essentially being hypnotized yeah. by the scrolling. So they're taking in things to be true that may not be true. I'm not saying they're not true. And then if they're getting news from their scrolling that would suggest that they should be more afraid, then the fear is getting more and more magnified, which means the adrenals are getting more and more burnt out, which means that they're you know, more and more frozen and then making themselves more and more wrong for not getting out and doing the work. So there's, there's uh, a lot of gifts, like I said, but there's, there's a lot of fallout. And uh, I decided last week when in talking with my guides that this conversation isn't coming to an end. You know, we, we know that although we'll go through stages of this beyond the virus, even when the virus finally runs its course, mm -hmm. all of the aftermath, we'll be, we'll be going through stages with that, just like organizational change, right? Having worked in corporations, I know that change is really slow and there's many layers of it or phases of it. And so we can probably expect to be dealing with the fallout of this for at least two years, like the immediate fallout, right? And trying to recalibrate to um, some semblance of life as we knew it. Although, you know, most people are saying we won't ever see that. We're changing economies. The actual currency is going to change. Uh, there's a ton of people that are going to be jobless and then they right. have to decide what they're going to do. Are they going to start a business? Are they going to farm? What, you know, what are they going to do with their lives? And, um, and knowing that this conversation isn't going away, but we don't want to be living and immersed in this conversation, what do we do? So I decided last week, this will be the week, and I made an announcement to my community that we're going to start future visioning again. Well, you know, yes, it's going to look different. Yes, our marketing message needs to look different. Yes, the way we serve people and how we present our services to people needs to be different. And, and we can't be tone deaf but we do have to get back into visioning the future instead of literally being in a holding pattern, right. waiting for more news. I remember in 9-11 being so addicted to the news for weeks mm -hmm. because we kept waiting for when's the next attack and when is anthrax going to be on my doorstep? And it just it became very consuming for a long period of time. And then I eventually had to pull myself out of that. And I know many other people did because otherwise you just kind of drive yourself crazy. So right. I'm it's a not state of what's going on. Yeah. And it's a state of suspended animation. You know, there's a moment to calm, calmly sit, reflect, marinate in the potential outcomes, uh, you know, as, as every good, you know, um, wonderfully logic or imaginative mind should and ought to. But after that, you know, to maintain that sense of, um, suspended, you know, outcome is it's treacherous on the human mind, right? It's, it's a form of torture. It's the best way to brainwash someone to never let them know when or what something is coming. So, um, mm -hmm. and I agree with what you're saying. I'm really um, interested in talking about the future um, visioning again, and that you're pushing people to do. But before we get to that, I was dying to know after all of my research, I always ask myself, what is the number one thing that you yourself, Patricia, just cannot wait to ask Jennifer? And one <laughs> of them was, um, and I had about five, I, I never get just <laughs> one. But um, my top one was, do you yourself have a mentor or a guide? I'm very fascinated with these um, prophetic symbols and people in our life, um, people who are coaches, guides, presidents, mothers, fathers, who they look to for advice. Uh -huh. And I'm wondering, you yourself, do you have guide or mentors or teachers um, that you draw upon still? Absolutely. I, um, I never want to be in a position where I think I know it all or I've come to realize it all. And I feel that 
being a student and a teacher at the same time, although it may look different, is important for our growth. That's just my perspective. And uh, so, yes, just before all of this happened, I hired one of my long-term friends who's a financial advisor. He's very woo like me, and we were building the company to sell it and, uh, and creating a plan and um, getting ready to buy some apartment buildings and um, turn them into affordable housing. And we had all these big plans and then this hit. And I know that happened to many people, by the way, where it's almost like the universe gave us the nudge to make the move. And we thought the move was about one thing, but it was really about another thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And um, like I was guided to sell all my rental properties and I thought it was because I was retiring my husband. It's really because I need to get out of the rental market right now, right? With everything that's happening and the government telling people they don't have to pay rent and that kind of stuff, right? Like it's, it ends up being costly, but that's a, a story for another day. But anyways, I am um, pretty discerning now about who I let into my life because I think that even the, the most clean energy in people, they still will bring their own filters to us, right? Just as I do with my clients. I don't mean to, it's just going to happen. And so I have to get really clear in myself, what do I want to be creating? And then who is the best person to help me create that? Sometimes I know, sometimes I don't. But um, I, you know, I think to all the people I've listened to over the years, I'm so grateful for people like Oprah. You know, she was a huge part of my journey. Yeah. Uh, I don't know Me what too. it was, 25 years ago or so when she was introducing us to all those self-help workers or um, authors, I should say. And that was, and even just who she was and, who, and what she stood for and the energy that she held, right? Showing us what's possible as women and, and, um, so that's just an example. There's all kinds of people I haven't personally hired that I look to. I appreciate someone like Shirley MacLaine, who took a lot of leaps of faith by talking about some pretty woo stuff in an environment and at a time and an era where it was very much um, on the down low. And boy, Louise Hay starting her own publishing house. Like think about how much energy uh, and, yeah. and what a mountain she had to climb to create that type of a publishing house at a time that she did. So there's a lot of people I admire. There's a lot of people I'm grateful for. And I think aside from being grateful for my parents bringing me onto this planet, regardless of what our relationship was, I think I'm most grateful to myself, honestly. And I, and I would invite people to look at that for themselves because we've all been through some stuff that in hindsight, you know, we can look at it differently, but at the time we think, holy cow, like what, you know, why am I going through this? And, and so I'm grateful that I have dedicated myself to growth so that I can move more and more towards the person that I want to meet when I'm not in a body anymore. When I, when I greet that version of me, when I'm out of a body, I want to look at her in the eyes and I want her to look at me in the eyes and say, good job, champ. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, did, you did a good job. You did what you came there to do. I love that. I love that, uh, that analogy. I can see it like dancing before me, you know, that, that example is so epic to talk about um, who you want to be when you're no longer in a body anymore and run into. Um, so normally I talk about goals that you have for your future business endeavors and things, but because you dropped a little nugget, I'd like to pick it up and um, ask you just a little bit with whatever little time we have left. The, um, you said you wanted to start future visioning again, um, and, uh -huh. and you wanted to start putting that out there and, and implementing this kind of what sounds to be action item based, or at least this cohesive vision of the future. Can you explain to the audience what that means and um, how that, that will take like implementation or even theoretical form? Uh -huh. I'm, I'm grateful that you asked that and I kind of have to hold myself accountable by saying this out loud. So right. <laughs> I like know an it was an early, call. you said you just decided and I was like, Oh, hot off the press. Yeah. You know, I, um, I've moved towards having my own TV show for a while and things happen and it interrupts it. And I was, I was on course to do that this year. And again, COVID hit. So I know I'm meant to be visible and the, the hilarity of that is I'm actually a very quiet kind of private person. I was very shy as a kid. If you told me that I'd be on stage speaking to people or be on podcasts or anything like that, I would have probably cried myself to sleep. Like the mm -hmm. thought of that would have been so horrendous for me. And yet here I am. But uh, 
I, in light of what's going on in the world and in light of how important I think it is to have have certain people's work showcased. I was already looking at this, but I'm going to be creating a platform for light workers and a censorship free platform for people to speak their truth. And, um, and that'll include more of these collaborative books. My clients will often say to me, Oh, I totally saw that for you having your own you know, publishing house. And I said, well, it's kind of more than that. I want to be able to have a platform for people to have podcasts. And when we can finally get back to being in person, have stages for people to speak on and um, just find a variety of ways for people to use their voice in a way where they don't have to be censored. Now, I'm not talking about inviting in rude and crude and violating sort of things. I'm talking about a platform for light workers where they can speak truth and not worry about you know, coming back to Facebook, for example, and seeing their video taken down or, you know, having to, to pray to the YouTube gods and, and things like that. We hear about this. So don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for those platforms, but I do think where we're going in society, we need to have, um, you know, just safe places for people to speak their truth. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll build out, I, I've always wanted to be a resource for people. And so I really like collaborating I like having I'm I have this in my Facebook group I'll transition this onto my website where I have an astrologer that provides weekly forecasts for people and a tarot card reader and a numerologist and a feng shui expert and these kind of folks just to add some light into people's life I don't feel like I have to be the source of everyone's information and you know I like yeah. um, introducing my community to other people so it'll be Kind of like that, not a psychic hotline by any means, but something where people can also have sessions with people that they resonate with that makes sense, you know, for what they're wanting to create. And um, and then I will be buying up some companies, you know, to instead of recreating the wheel, just buying companies that can kind of come under that umbrella of overall helping people evolve their soul. And instead, again, instead of me spending a ton of time creating something that someone else has already created for those people that are ready to step out of it, they're just not interested in having it anymore, but I can remunerate them for their sweat equity, basically, then I'll bring those, those companies into the fold as well. And that's exciting. That's a powerful umbrella, yeah. you know, of light. Yeah. It sounds like in a collaborative effort, the voices sound like they'll be fascinating. Um, this is a really exciting goal. And um, it's so it's, I just got it first. I scooped everybody <laughs> you're going to talk to. That's exciting. Um, I'm wondering as we wrap up today, um, I always ask, and I've kind of changed this scenario a little bit because of the pandemic, but I'm curious if you yourself were advising yourself back after you had just left corporate and you were beginning this entire journey. Not one book was written. You know, you were just starting everything out. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that person knowing what you know now? I love that you asked that. There's very little I would change about that, but I would definitely hire a mentor. I was five years into my business before I even hired a mentor. And anyone I talk to that's successful says that that's their biggest regret. There has yet to be a single person I've spoken to that didn't because mentors really, first of all, remind you of what your goals are and hold you accountable to them. But they also, um, they, sh they shorten your learning curve because presumably you're hiring people that have already created what you want to create. So I, I would have done that. There was a, point in the beginning where I was kind of swimming in fear and fear became uh, like Groundhog Day. I got so bored with it that I eventually just said, okay, well, fear is boring me now. So I'm just going to put myself out there. What do I have to lose? Yeah. I like that. So I guess I wouldn't say it's a regret that I, I could have easily allowed myself more speed. And I also as I mentioned, went into a place of awe and wonder in the beginning. So instead of deciding people were going to say yes or no, I just decided I was in control of the doors. So I, I decided that I was in the driver's seat rather than other people were inviting me to their table. I had my table that I was going to invite people to, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I, um, I not I definitely knocked on doors and some doors flew open that that surprised me and other doors that I thought would open didn't open and so I needed to learn how to be unattached to the whether the doors opened or not but I definitely could have been way more relentless about the the doors that I knocked on mm -hmm. and really just created an abundance of opportunities 
And then I also would have hired someone more quickly, meaning like an assistant. I got really bottlenecked and it stagnated my growth. And uh, I just didn't know how to hire an extension of me. And then I realized I don't need an extension of me. I need to be me. And I need to hire someone that knows what to take off my plate. It wasn't my job to know what they could take off my mm-hmm. plate. It was their job to know what they could take off my plate. So my my growth definitely slowed down because, I, like I said, I was the admin and the janitor and the bathroom cleaner and the, you yeah. know, the yes. <laughs> all the things, nothing wrong with those things. But at, at some point it became, you know, problematic because I was too busy. So. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, it sounds, and to that last point, um, I find it, I speak primarily for those who are familiar with my work. I speak largely with women, female identified, non-binary individuals and children. So I can't speak to, with great authority to this end, but what I do know about women is that they are bred to do that. They are bred not to outsource. You know, you are mother, um, breadwinner, wife, all of this, daughter, caregiver, all of those things. And um, I've never spoken to a woman from any culture that I've visited, and I, I globe trot regularly, that isn't brought up with that idea and also takes great pleasure in it. It's not a, always this, you know, horrible cross to bear, but... Um, I will say that most female entrepreneurs and founders, you know, of the highest echelon are still saying, I really should have hired someone long before I did, you know, so it's a common theme. But just to relist um, what I heard is um, hire a mentor. And number two, allow more speed. Don't let um, fear roadblock you. Let awe and wonder um, open the doors, invite people to the table and hire an assistant quickly. I love those. That's like a, that's an incredible outline. There's your next book from me to you. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Assignment. Um, I really appreciate your time today, Jennifer. We are out of time, but I could talk forever. And I just want to say, um, I really, really appreciate you sharing your voice and your wisdom with us. Well, thank you. I, it was a great honor to be here. I really appreciate you inviting me on today. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, we've been talking with Jennifer Longmore. You can hear more about what she's doing and contact her on www.souljourneys.ca. And um, thank you for listening to our show today. Uh, I hope you all stay well, stay in love, stay in peace, and remember to always bet on yourself. Sunshine.